Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God, as we find it written in the Gospel according to St. Matthew, reading there in the 11th chapter, beginning at the 16th verse. But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. This is a good morning, I suppose, depending upon whether you and I like snow or not. But it is a good winter morning, and I hope that we have rested well and that we are glad to be here in God's house this morning. As you have heard me say, and you have seen it on your calendar, that today is known as Sexagesima Sunday in the Christian Church. Last Sunday was Septuagesima. These words in the Latin are merely numerals, Last Sunday was Septuagesma, it means 70. Last Sunday, we are told then we were, are about 70 days away from Easter. We are facing the Lenten season. Sexagesma means the numeral 60, which means that today we are about 60 days away from Easter. We are heading towards the Lenten season. And the text that I just read is very appropriate for this time of the church year. This text, as you no doubt noted, it deals with Christ and the manner of unbelief. It talks about Jesus and the person who refuses to believe in him. Have you and I ever wondered how Christ feels about individuals who refuse to accept him as Lord and Savior, who, who just pass him by? How does Christ feel about them? He spoke these words up in Galilee. We are told that he had a multitude in front of him as he preached this sermon. And in that group there were a number who were rejecting him, who were refusing to repent and to believe that he was the Messiah and Savior. So he looked out on that multitude that day and he said, uh, What shall I liken this nation to? Uh, what are you like? And then he said, Here's what you're like. You are like children sitting in the markets, or you are like kids playing in the marketplace. 
Then he went on to tell him what he meant. He said, all of us have watched kids playing in the marketplace, haven't we? And he said, there are those, one child would say, come on, let's play wedding. And so he would start to play on his flute, only to have the other kids say, no, we don't want to play wedding for no particular good reason. We just don't want to play. Then he said, you've noticed how the kids would say, well, if we don't want to play wedding, let's play funeral. And then they would start to mourn. Come on, let's mourn. Only to have the other kids say, no, we aren't going to mourn for no particular good reason. He said to those who were rejecting him in that multitude, you remind me of a bunch of kids playing in the marketplace. You remind me of a bunch of kids because when you reject me, you reject me only because you want to reject me, not because you have a good and legitimate and a sound reason for doing so. And today on uh, Sexagesima Sunday, to those of us who again have found it easier to reject him, to put him off, uh, to pass him by, that we can't accept him as Lord and Savior, Jesus says, you remind me of kids playing in the marketplace. You reject me. You pass me by. You give me the cold shoulder as your Lord and Savior only because this is what you want to do. It is not because you have found some real, sound, valid, legitimate reason for doing so. And you know, those of us who have put him off, we may say to ourselves, I can't believe that. And we may say, Jesus, you know that isn't true. If we are rejecting him, we can say to him this morning, and we do say, I've got a good reason. You don't know it, but I've got a good, legitimate, sound, bona fide reason why I reject you as my Lord and Savior. And Jesus says, if you and I are amongst those who reject him, you remind me of a bunch of kids in the marketplace who again, when they say, let's play wedding, no, I don't want to. And let's play funeral band, no, I don't want I just don't want to, without any reason. Jesus says, if you are rejecting me in your heart as your Savior, you remind me of a bunch of kids in the market. You are rejecting me for this reason. You just don't want me. You have no legitimate reason for doing so. And even though you and I may say, that isn't true, I've got a good legitimate reason. Jesus says, there isn't any legitimate reason in all the world that you have for rejecting me. And Christ challenges you and me this morning, if we are holding our hearts away from him, to name one good, legitimate, sound, valid reason for rejecting him. And Christ challenges you and me in the first place, he challenges us that we are rejecting him in our lives. He challenges us to say, if you are rejecting me, I challenge you to name one reason, one legitimate reason for rejecting me as regards my person and as regards my life. Well, that day up in Galilee, there were those who, again, they were rejecting him, and they thought they had a real legitimate reason. They started with John the Baptist, who was in jail at the time, and again, they turned on John the Baptist, and when John came preaching Jesus Christ in repentance, they said no, because Jesus said, you rejected me through John because you didn't like John. John came neither eating nor drinking. Now, John the Baptist had taken the Nazarite vow, and that meant that he would never touch wine or strong drink, and that he ate the bare necessities of life. He lived on wild locusts and honey, as you know, in the desert. And Jesus says, and when John came preaching repentance, oh, you rejected his message because you said, he's crazy, that man's got a devil. 
Jesus says, that's what you found wrong with him. Then he said, so I, I, the son of man, came since you rejected him because he fasted and because he lived severely. So I came eating and drinking, thinking this is what you wanted. And what do you say about me? You say I'm a gluttonous man. You say I'm a wine-bibber and I'm a drunk. And you say that I hang out with the open sinners and the prostitutes of the town. That's what you say about me. Jesus says, you remind me of a bunch of kids playing in the marketplace. You have no legitimate reason. You object to me just because you object. And then Jesus says, wisdom is known of its children. Jesus said, anybody with such brilliance as you have who reject me, you can always justify your acts. He reminded them, oh, you think you've got an air of brilliance about you. You've got an air of pseudo-intelligence that you can justify and rationalize yourself and say, I can't accept him as Lord and Savior. Look at him. He's nothing but a wine-bibber. He's a drunken. He's a glutton. And he hangs around with the riffraff of the town. And Jesus would say to you and me this morning, I challenge you, if in your life and mine we have held out against him, Jesus says, I challenge you to name one legitimate reason as regards my person and as regards my life. You know, he stood before the world one day and he said, which of you convinces me of sin? And it's nearly 2,000 years since he stepped foot on this earth. And in 2,000 years, it's rather strange. Men have taken that life and they have looked at it and scrutinized it and they've put it under, as it were, microscopes and they've analyzed it and they've psychoanalyzed it and men have come out and said, oh, there is the greatest life that has ever been lived. You can take a lot of mud and throw it on marble, but it won't stick. And Jesus says, I defy you to find something wrong with my person and life. But in our pseudo-intelligence and in our brilliance, we may say, how can I put my faith in somebody who claims to be born of a virgin? You know, this is the thing that the pseudo-intellectual looks at. Said, why, he is nothing more than the illegitimate child of a woman by the name of Mary who wasn't married. Yet I would say to you, when you turn to the Word of God, God gives us an answer that he was not an illegitimate child. He was virgin-born because this was God's plan that one should come into the world to be without sin. And as you and I, if we're honest, as we look at his sinlessness, we've got to realize that Jesus is saying if we are refusing him and rejecting him that he's right, we are like a bunch of kids playing in the marketplace. We are just saying, no, no, no. Regardless, we're just not going to do it because there is no legitimate reason. Jesus is right, and he reminds us that anybody that wants the brilliance of rejecting can always justify himself in these inconsistencies. Have you ever noticed that those who object to Jesus Christ always put on an air of superintelligence? They're just a little bit more brilliant than you and I who accept him. And therefore, they can stand, and in their superintelligence and brilliance, they can say, here is the reason why I object to him. I have a sound, legitimate, real, true, and good basis. Look at his person and look at his life. And Jesus says, I challenge you. I challenge you to name one reason why you reject me. And so today on Sexagesima Sunday, when we talk about those who object, and those who just passing by and just never come to grips with him, we ought to say to ourselves, I'm going to believe this charge of Jesus, that when we act like that, we're just like a bunch of kids in the marketplace. We have no reason for our actions except that we just don't want to. Therefore, we ought to be honest with him and at least 
say he deserves an investigation. You heard me announce before the starting of the adult lectures two weeks from tomorrow night. What's the idea of them all? The idea is a very simple one, that a man who rejects Jesus Christ, a man that stands with a pseudo-intellectualism, he's rather brilliant, he rationalizes that he can't accept Christ as Lord and Savior because he's got so many valid reasons and here is a chance to show him in the challenge of the person and the life of Jesus Christ. Oh, I know the usual objection is this, there's too many hypocrites. Yes, there are. We'll not argue that. But even if there are hypocrites that follow him, that in no way reflects on Jesus Christ. And in the adult lectures, I consider this some of the most important things that a minister can do, is to let a man sit down without obligation and take a first-hand look at Jesus Christ in order to find out is there any legitimate, sound reason to reject him as regards his person and work. And I always promise those who will come honestly that they're in for some surprises. Those who come to scoff so often remain to pray. This is Sexagesima Sunday, and Jesus was up in Galilee, and he was preaching to a large group, and there were those who were objecting. They were passing him by. They couldn't accept him. And Jesus said, what should I like in this generation to? What, what do you like? And Jesus said, if you want to know, you remind me like a bunch of kids, of a bunch of kids playing out in the marketplace, who when some of them said, let's play a wedding. No, I don't want to play. All right, let's play funeral. No, I don't want to play funeral. Uh, you just don't have any reason for it, but you do it. And Jesus again challenges any man that rejects him and says, you name one good legitimate reason for rejecting me. And those with pseudo-intellectualism can say, oh, there's a lot of reasons. And Jesus he gives us this second challenge. He challenges those of us who reject him to give one legitimate reason for doing so as regards his claims to deity and his claims to being the Savior. Oh, that day up in Galilee, there was the crowd. And again, they were objecting to him. How could he be the Messiah? How could he be God's son? How could he be the Savior? And Jesus looked at them and he said, you remind me of a bunch of kids. How about my miracles? How about the things that I have been doing? Then he began to upgrade those cities in which he had done some of his mighty works and those who had come from those cities who were still holding off and passing him by. And Jesus went into it and he said to them, Woe unto you, Bethsaida! Woe unto you, Chorazin! These were two cities on this, located on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus told that group that day, he said, the miracles that I have done in Bethsaida and Chorazin, if the same miracles that I have done in those cities had been done in ancient Tyre and Sidon, two heathen cities up on the coast of the Mediterranean, Jesus said, if they had seen half of what I've done in your cities, he said, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. They would have turned from their wickedness. Jesus, what more do you want? You want more miracles? Jesus says, is this what you want? Then he says, how about you, Capernaum? This was, the, this was the base city. This is where, again, his ministry centered. A large city on, again, the Sea of Galilee. He said, how about you, Capernaum? He said, if, again, the miracles that I have done in your midst in my ministry up here in Galilee, if they had been done in Sodom, he said, that city would still be alive today. When you mention Sodom, that's something, isn't it? 
Sodom and Gomorrah, when you go to the Dead Sea, they will tell you, tradition says that Sodom and Gomorrah that were destroyed in fire and brimstone are under the Dead Sea. And even archaeologists want to drain that sea and find them. That was the scummy city of the world at that time. Sodom, it gives its name to the sin even today of sodomy. When it was so scummy that even in sexual gratification there was no longer any sexual gratification between male and female in the regular way, but again, it was rectal intercourse. That's what they did. That's sodomy. It's Spain. It was homosexuality at its worst. And yet Jesus told them that day up in Galilee. He said, if the miracles that you've seen in Capernaum had been performed in Sodom, that scummy city, it'd still be standing today. What do you want? In other words, Christ was challenging them. You're saying to me that the reason you're objecting to me and you're passing me by as Lord and Savior, that you haven't had enough miracles. Jesus says... You've had every miracle that, again, you need. I have stilled the tempest. I've changed water into wine. I have healed the sick and the maimed and the halt and the blind. I have healed the lepers. I have raised the dead. You remind me of a bunch of kids playing in the marketplace. The only reason in God's world why you are rejecting me is because you want to, not because you've got any legitimate reason. And men today stand and they say, with sort of a pseudo-intelligence, oh, this brilliance, we can justify anything. The reason why I object to Christ as Lord and Savior and why I've never bowed the knee to him is because of his miracles. Uh, after all, there are some miracles I'd like to see him perform. And Jesus says, I performed everyone you need. And therefore, it is true. He says, I challenge you. I challenge any man that rejects me as Savior to name one legitimate reason for rejecting me. Oh, you may do it in your brilliance as a rejecter. You may go ahead and rationalize, and you may go ahead and say, here is a bona fide reason, but Jesus says, you're just like a bunch of kids playing in the marketplace. You're just, when somebody says, let's play wedding, oh, no, well, then let's play funeral, oh, no. You don't have one legitimate reason. Christ is right, but he reminds us that in this pseudo-intelligence that men seemingly have, when they reject Jesus Christ, it's a little above you and me intellectually, that if you and I were on their plane, we could see it so easily. Jesus says any brilliance on the part of the rejecter means that he can justify anything. This is rationalization. Jesus says to the world, I challenge any man that passes me by to name one legitimate reason. Christ says there isn't. It ought to mean this then, as we think about him. If you and I are amongst those who are holding off and we say, I, I, I don't come to grips with him. Uh, I've never really opened my heart to him. I have never really repented of my sins. We ought to realize that Christ, when he was speaking up there in Galilee that day to the crowd, that he was certainly telling the truth that any man, regardless of who he is or what he is, who turns and says no to Jesus Christ, Christ says you're like a bunch of kids playing in the marketplace. You haven't one legitimate, sound, logical, good reason for doing so. The only reason you do is because you want to. 
When you and I can accept that indictment of Jesus, then we ought to determine and say to ourselves, there aren't going to be any more miracles. He isn't going to perform an extra miracle for you. And he's not going to perform an extra one for me. Because it would remind you and me that every miracle that was needed and necessary to absolutely substantiate his deity and that he was the Savior has been done. And he's given us the word of God and he has given us Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John's gospel given by inspiration. And here is the authority beyond question that these things took place substantiated by the testimony of a Matthew and a Mark and a Luke and a John. There aren't going to be any more. And it ought to mean this then into our lives if we're holding off when we talk about just staying on the fence. That we, we just somehow or other, we can't come to grips with him because we've got a reason. And it's very legitimate, we say. It's very sound. It's a very valid reason why we're saying no to him. We ought to do something before at the end of time he points the finger at you and me and he says, your unbelief is utterly inexcusable. This is one thing the man that rejects Jesus Christ is going to find out. When he stands before Christ, Christ is going to say, you name me one reason. One legitimate reason why you have rejected me. If you can give me one, I'll see. But any man that has ever come in contact with the gospel who has rejected Christ is going to stand that day speechless because there isn't any one legitimate, valid reason for rejecting Jesus Christ. Even though you and I know many in the pseudo-intelligence that they purport to have, in the brilliance that they claim they have, that it's way beyond what you and I have, and if we were as brilliant as they, uh, we would see too that there's a reason why they reject Jesus Christ. But on the last day, there won't be one rejecter that will stand before Christ and have Christ say, that is justified, you had a reason for rejecting me. That won't happen. No man that rejects has a leg to stand on. These were pretty harsh words that he spoke up there in Galilee, but he was at the point in his ministry where he was no longer mincing words. He's talking about those of us who, who just passed him by. Oh, we may smile at him as we pass him by, but we just don't want him. Uh, we've got our reasons, you know. Oh, they're deep-seated, but they're valid. Oh, they're genuine, they're bona fide. They are really sound. They are really good. And Jesus says, you know what you remind me of? You remind me of a bunch of kids playing in the marketplace who when some of the kids say, let's play a wedding, you say, no, all right, let's play a funeral. No, you don't want to do that either. For no reason, you just don't want it. You reject me just because. Because the third challenge comes to me, challenges you and me if we are amongst those that reject him, challenge us to name one valid reason for rejecting him as regards Calvary, as regards the cross. Here's the, here's the real nitty-gritty of it all, isn't it? How many do you and I know who reject him, who say, I reject him because of Calvary? How many pseudo-intellectuals have you and I heard have said, you mean to tell me that this is God's son on the cross when God forced him to die on the cross? You mean to tell me this slaughterhouse religion? 
that this is valid? You mean to tell me that I'm to put my faith in somebody who had a father that forced them to die on the cross? A God that's got a taste for blood? Oh, that sounds so intellectual, doesn't it? Oh, that sounds so brilliant. Men say, leave Calvary out of this thing. You might have a chance, but when you bring Calvary in, you've got a slaughterhouse religion. But it's rather strange, isn't it, that when, if we have embraced him, we look at Calvary and we say, well, he wasn't forced. He said, this greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. We see a beauty in Calvary, don't we, when we look and see it as the Word of God presents it. Here was love at its best. Here was God's Son who died for you and me, not because he was forced to, but because he wanted to, because he loves you and me with an everlasting love. And that in that great sacrifice, because it was so noble, it wasn't forced. It was voluntary. It was a willingness. It came out of love that the Father accepted it in all of its fullness as full payment for our sins and our condemnation, and thus gave him a robe of righteousness for the entire human race. Anything wrong with that? Anything that you and I can say, this is the reason why I object to Jesus Christ and bending the knee to him as Lord and Savior? When we stand and we honestly evaluate Calvary and see its meaning, then we get on our knees and we say, here is love at its finest. Here is the answer to the soul problem. Here is the answer to sin. Here is Jesus at his finest. Christ says no man will ever be able to stand and give me a legitimate, sound, valid reason for objecting to my cross and for me as the Savior. That'll never happen. Christ says when you do, you remind me of a bunch of kids playing in the marketplace. You just don't want to play a wedding, and you don't want to play a funeral, and you have no reason. It's just, no, I don't want to. Christ says, this is it. And he's right, isn't he? He is right. No man will ever stand before him and ever be able to tell him the reason why I have passed you by. Oh, I've been polite, but the reason why I've rejected you and why I've objected you as Savior is because of Calvary. And Jesus will say, I challenge you. You name one thing that's wrong with Calvary. And then he would remind us that he arose from the dead to assure us that in him there is life and eternal salvation. It ought to mean this, then. These were... Rather harsh words that he spoke up in Galilee. He was calling a spade a spade. It ought to mean this then, that when you and I believe him, that if we are amongst those that still are holding off, we are like a bunch of kids playing in the marketplace, that the only reason that we object is we just don't want him. There is nothing valid. Then it ought to mean in your life and mine today that we ought to say... I'm going to stop being like a kid or like a group of kids playing in the marketplace. It ought to stop. 
Oh, there's pseudo-intellectualism. Sometimes it gets us, doesn't it? Oh, yes, sometimes it gets us. You read in the papers, you know, with pseudo-intellectuals, uh, there's not going to be a funeral sermon. We're not going to have anything. As much as to say, because they don't have anything, we're going out to the cemetery, we're going to read a poem, and it's all going to be all right, as though this is the answer. Christ says, you act like a bunch of kids. You give me one legitimate reason. We ought to say to ourselves, it's about time we stop being kids. Jesus wasn't fooling. Up in Galilee, he said, I challenge you. You name one legitimate reason. If you are rejecting me, you name it. No human being alive to this day has ever been able to name one thing. And therefore, in your life and mine, if we're holding off, we ought to say to ourselves, I'm going to stop being a kid playing in the marketplace. I'm going to reckon with him. I'm going to repent and I'm going to believe because only then will we escape the punishment of sin. And when you talk about punishment, I know that pseudo-intellectuals say now, you mean fire and brimstone, do you, preacher? Uh, you mean hell, do you? And then sort of a smirk, you know, my, you're an old fogey. But you know, rather strange, that day up in Galilee, he said to the multitude, he said, and how about you, Capernaum? He said, Capernaum, you're going up to heaven. He said, I say, Capernaum, you're going down to hell. Let me tell you, those words came to my mind when I was in the Holy Land. We came up to the Sea of Galilee and I came into, again, what purported to have been a city at one time and I saw some columns erected. You perhaps saw my pictures and I wondered, what in the world is this? And I asked the guide and I said, what are these ruins? And he said, we think these are the ruins of Capernaum. Oh, oh, I thought, we think they are the ruins of Capernaum. That day up in Galilee, Jesus said, Oh, the things that I have done in Capernaum and the mighty works that I've done that ought to convince everybody in the city that I'm the Son of God and Savior. And he said, Because you are rejecting me like a bunch of kids. He says, Capernaum, you're going down in the judgment of hell. And think of it, about 2,000 years later, we aren't just sure just where Capernaum was. Obliterated, wiped off the face of it. They dug out the ruins out of the sands of time. We think these are the ruins of Capernaum. Will there be a judgment? You know, in spite of the pseudo-intellectuals, I'm sure there will be. Not long ago, some of you had some friends from another state here in church with you. They were Lutherans. When they went home, they said to you, uh, that's the first time we've heard about hell and judgment in a long time. In our church, we never hear about that anymore. All we hear is we're to love one another. Now, you and I have nothing to find against this, that we're to love one another. But I wonder what's happening when the church is saying we're no longer going to preach about eternal damnation. When Christ stood up there in Galilee and said, Capernaum, you're going down to hell, and it went down to hell. What was he talking about?
or there will be a judge. I wonder if the church is losing its prophetic ministry. I wonder what he's going to say to the church someday when he would say, those who objected to tell them that there's damnation, there's hell, there's eternal separation, and no man can stand and give a legitimate reason when he objects. This is what he said. Is the church failing? Yet he says to you and me today, listen, don't be like a bunch of kids, please. Don't be like a bunch of kids playing in the marketplace. I challenge you. There is no legitimate reason why anybody is going to reject me. There is no valid, sound reason that any man can ever tell me someday that justifies him. Jesus says, please, stop acting like kids playing in the marketplace. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling for you and for me. Patiently, he's Waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. Let's get rid of any pseudo-intellectualism, any brilliance, whereby we justify ourselves. We think we're just a little super-intellectual than others. And that someday there's going to be a real reason if we object to Jesus Christ that it's going to be legitimate. Oh, no. Come into my heart. Come into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. It makes a tremendous difference. It's just like this. At the end of life on this earth, it's either going to be heaven or it's going to be hell. Let's stop being like kids playing in the marketplace. Amen.